Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. Today, we are with Stacey Coppers, who's an incredible entrepreneur and a very inspiring entrepreneur with an amazing story. So you're going to enjoy this episode. I'm not going to give too much away, but just imagine a life-changing moment that left you in a wheelchair and drowned, and now, you know, years and years later, you're out there inspiring people all around the world. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Stacey Coppers. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there that's making it happen. And I've got a good friend of mine, her name's Stacey Copas, who is an incredible, you wait to hear a story, an incredible entrepreneur, inspiring leader. She's a speaker. She's written a book on how to be resilient. So we're going to touch on that. She's extremely well published in the media for a story. She's a facilitator for large organizations. I'm going to let her share a story in a second, but it's truly an inspiring story and there's going to be a lot of amazing breakthroughs and wisdom in this episode. So welcome to the show, Stacey. Thank you so much, Craig. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to come and have a chat with you today. Great. And as I said, like I always like the guests to be able to share their story and take it where they want to take. But um, yeah, I'd love you to share your story and your journey and where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So where I am today, and I'm the founder of the Academy of Resilience, um, but unlike a lot of resilience experts in the space, um, I'm not an academic or a psychologist. And for a long time, I felt that because I wasn't either of those things that I wasn't qualified to speak about resilience. So it took me many years to actually realize that having a story that came from um, life experience rather than a textbook was actually far more valuable. And I still remember the first time in a room full of CEOs, I said, look, by the way, not an academic or not a psychologist. And they all went, thank God for that. And it was in that moment, it was that thing where you, where you have the, the, the thing that's been hanging over your head for so long that you thought was a, a, you know, was, was a liability ended up being one of my greatest assets. Um, so I guess to take you back and, and to sh- you know, take you through that story of how I you know, became to speak about resilience. Um, back at 12 years old, I was probably a little bit unusual as a, as a, at that age in that I had really, really clear plans for what I wanted to do with my life and um, all of my primary schooling, uh, all I wanted to do was be a vet. And at 12 years old, I was just finishing primary school and I'd actually passed the entrance exams and got a first round offer to go to a selective agricultural college. So that was a big tick on the, um, you know, making that next step towards be, you know, following that dream of becoming a vet. And uh, aside from that, I was an athlete. I was um, the pitcher in the softball team for the school. I ended up being one of the first two girls to ever play soccer for the school. This is this is like over 30 years ago now, so feeling very old. Um, but, yeah, over 30 years ago and it took about a six-month battle with the school and eventually we were able to be um, able to play in the boys' team, uh, much to their disgust. Um, but that was that was an, a nice um, a nice shift, and um, and I was obsessed with running. And I represented my school from every distance from the 100 meters right through to the cross country. So I was you know academically doing really well, um, athletically, really kicking some big goals, and um, I was pretty happy with life and pretty confident that 
you know, I was, I was on track and that, you know, anything was possible at that point in time. And unfortunately all of that, all of those plans that I had got completely up, up, you know, turned upside down and it was, um, you know, it was a hot Sunday afternoon. It was the first weekend of, of summer and I was calling off in a relative's backyard swimming pool with my younger brother who was 10 at the time and a couple other boys. Um, they were sort of, you know, nine, 10, similar sort of age. And um, it was a place I was pretty familiar with. I'd been there before and um, and each time I went there, I didn't want anything to do with the boys was the first thing. Uh, the second thing I, I liked to do was um, instead of just spending the time in the pool, I thought it was far more fun to just keep climbing up on the edge of the pool and diving in. Now, this was an above-ground pool, so it wasn't that deep, so it certainly wasn't a pool that was designed for diving. So this didn't go unnoticed. I was getting yelled at to stop, but... I think we can all remember how bulletproof and invincible we were at 12 years old. And so I was like, meh, not listening to that. And so I just kept doing that. And um, and until one particular time, I, I remember standing there and I, I stood there for a moment and I thought, I thought I was splashing too much as I was diving in. So I stood there for a moment and I thought, how can I make a perfect dive without splashing? So I thought in theory, what if I was to hold my feet together and keep my legs straight as I dived in? I thought, that would make a cleaner entry into the water. So I took a deep breath and I did exactly that. Now it felt like any other dive that I'd done before until I went to try and swim up to the surface and I found that I couldn't move. So I was completely conscious, uh, holding my breath. I didn't feel any pain. It didn't feel like anything had gone wrong, but I just, I, I could not move. So I, I thought I tried desperately to get the attention of my brother, which I couldn't do. So I, I held my breath for as long as I could, but when I couldn't hold it any longer, I just had to give in. And as I gave in and my lungs filled with water, I blacked out. Now, eventually my brother and the others realized that something was wrong. They, they actually just thought I was mucking around. And um, when they realized something was wrong and raised the alarm for help and I was pulled out and, um, you know, and, and an ambulance was called. And it was, I ended up being taken to the local hospital, then a helicopter to another hospital and then taken to a third hospital where late that night in intensive care, I had a doctor come and tell me that I'd actually broken my neck and drowned and that I'd never walk again. So, you know, it, it literally felt like my life was over in that moment. Um, you know, everything that I identified as, everything that I had planned for what I wanted to do with my life, seemed like it was then impossible in that moment. Uh, I ended up having to spend eight weeks flat on my back with sandbags either side of my head to just let the swelling go down in the spinal cord. Um, and I couldn't do anything for myself. Like I literally couldn't scratch my head, turn the page of a book. So I went from being, you know, this fiercely independent, active young woman to being dependent on others for absolutely everything. And it really was, you know, completely soul-destroying um, soul destroying time, um, just feeling so helpless and, and also feeling that there was really nothing to look forward to at, at that time. You know, it did feel like a, it felt like a death sentence to me at the time. I ended up having to spend seven months in hospital because the doctor said I was too young to go to a rehab center. And what that meant was that I didn't get the specialist therapy that most people would have gotten. And so when they finally did discharge me from hospital at the end of that time, like I really couldn't do anything for myself. And to top that off, it was like three days after that, I, you know, got shipped off to a 
a high school far from home where I didn't know a single soul in the middle of the year and sort of sent on my way. So it really felt like the universe had it in for me at that point in time. Um, you know, the, the, the high school years were, were an absolute, you know, absolute, yeah, it was an absolute struggle. It was, um, I'd really, I really battled to accept what had happened. I was really bitter and angry and resentful. And, you know, the majority of that was directed at myself because I was in that situation because of my own actions. And, um, you know, really I, what I, when I reflect on it now, I realized that, you know, while physically I drowned once, emotionally I was drowning every single day at that point in time. But I, I did a pretty good job of keeping that to myself. I didn't talk about anybody to anyone about how I was feeling. I just, I got up every day, I went to school, I did what I had to do when I came home. And I did, you know, fairly early on in the piece, um, end up with some pretty destructive outlets for how I was feeling. And I, ended up spending a, a, a fair whack of those, um, you know, particularly the high school years, drunk and stoned. And they were my, you know, I got to look at it now as like, you know, creating, trying to create moments of artificial happiness. But what it led to in between was, you know, deeper pits of depression and despair and anxiety. But again, I kept that all to myself. Um, it wasn't until getting later into the high school years that I started to shift the way I was I was feeling about myself and started to leave those habits behind. And, um, but it wasn't until probably really, uh, when I look back on it, it was probably into my early twenties where, you know, the biggest shift came and that was where I actually completely changed the way I looked at the accident and what had happened and the impact it had in my life. And while I realized I couldn't change anything about what had already happened, what I could do is I could change the way I felt about it. I could change the story I told myself and the story I told others about it, and I could change what I did next. And so I ended up then becoming incredibly grateful for what had happened. And most people think, how the heck can ending up a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of your life be positive? But when people spend time with me, they realize that I am absolutely genuinely happy with the path that my life took and can say with absolute certainty that I've had the opportunity to do things that I would never have done, you know, had my life had taken the path that I, you know, I, I, that I'd intended. Um, but still for such a long time, I, I still had what I called the little old me syndrome where I was like, nothing to see here, nothing special. Everyone would go, you know, wow, you're so inspiring and you're so positive and optimistic and ambitious and how how do you do it considering you've had so much shit go wrong along the way? And I'm like, yeah, nothing to see here. Um, but it wasn't until into my sort of late 20s, early 30s that I really got into personal development and, you know, started to learn about um, a lot about mindset and things like that and, started to then, you know, do a lot of workshops and um, courses and things like that. And it was through doing some of those um, that, you know, I ended up with great mentors. I started to learn about, you know, writing and speaking and all those sort of things. And I did, I had some pretty incredible experiences in between where I went and volunteered in the Solomon Islands, even though I'd never been overseas before. I ran for parliament in, here in New South Wales, like for a state election. Like I did all these really way out things. Um, so I kind of felt that I'd, I'd done something of significance at that point where I felt more comfortable with the label of being inspirational. 
But I still didn't want to tell, talk about myself. And, um, you know, it was a mentor that said to me, he said, you know, Stace, you got to get over yourself. It's not about you. Because I thought, oh, I don't want to talk about myself. I don't want to tell my story because everyone will think I'm a total wanker for talking about myself. Um, at that point, I'm like, oh, I'm just a girl from Campbelltown, Western Sydney. Who's going to, you know, we were, we were brought up to, you know, to not stand out, to not say that we were good at anything. And so, yeah, and, and um, then I was sort of told, look, it's about your audience and with a story like yours and the things that you've learned, if you don't share how you did these things, um, then you're being selfish. <laughs> and it was that conversation in 2011 that completely shifted everything. And then I, you know, I then started with a five-minute version of sharing my story in a little bit of a speaker contest Um that then led me to this path now where um, I've had the amazing fortune of being able to now be a professional speaker for almost 10 years and speak in different parts of the world and, you know, publish books and just, just realising that, you know, the adversity that I had was the greatest gift I could have ever had and, and the greater gift was then being able to then um, process that and distill what I'd learned and then be able to share that with others so that other people can learn how to be resilient, how to find the opportunities in, you know, uncertainty and change and adversity without having to go through a crisis in their own life. Mm, wow. Very inspiring, empowering. Um, I'm just listening to the story and, uh, you know, uh, amazing what you've done but you mentioned that in your early 20s you started to accept and change and tell your story but it wasn't until your 30s that you really took on this pathway of personal development which often people um you know their personal development is their moment and their breakthrough what was the thing at that point in time in your early 20s when you started to sort of positively move forward that was there a moment was there a conversation then was there um, without that sort of personal development mindset behind you at that point in time was there something that uh, stuck out for you for that look I think it was just a culmination of a lot of experiences rather than anything specific um, sort of once I got to my early 20s I'd you know, I'd got into uni, I deferred, I never went, I got a, you know, got a great job, um, you know, ended up with a boyfriend that I met at work and did all that sort of stuff. And um, and then I was just still sort of just getting along with things. But then I had a, a period of illness where I was unable to work for about 18 months. And and I really feel that it was it was on the other side of that, sort of getting back on track again, that um, that, that was, uh, yeah, that was, a, 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 it was probably a reminder for me um, that there was so much to be grateful for. And I think having 18 months to be unable to work and do things like that, like that really, that really killed me for a bit there. So I think it was just a, it was, it was a culmination of things. And I think also just, you know, partly it was probably the, the constant, constant, um, you know, people around me going, you know, you're awesome. You've done all these really cool things. And, um, yeah, I just, and I just, I've always just been driven by, even even at the even through the toughest times, there was always this real deep seated, um, you know, desire there or or a knowing that you know I was here to make a difference, and I just didn't know what it was going to be. So I think it was through, you know, a period of time of doing that, and 
And I think, and also even as a teenager, I've always had people that had come and asked for advice or I kind of felt that I was the, you know, the, the resident social worker for everybody. Um, so I kind of felt that I had an ability to help others and stuff like that, but, you know, to really be able to do that, I really needed to be able to get out of my own way first. <laughs> Yeah. And look, I mean, totally, totally different circumstance because, you know, you're, uh, but I want to just uh, take it a second to sort of share, like you mentioned the word grateful, you felt grateful for the experience and the challenge and adversity there. And um, my book, my podcast has really come about of a, a a very different experience, but, um, you know, my wife and I, we had, uh, our first son who was stillborn and that moment for me was like the challenge, the breakthrough in a, in a really different way. So I went 12 years, you know, 13 years, 14 years in business where, you know, I was just surging forward. I was stoic. I, you know, if I had a challenge and adversity, I would, you know, I'd, I'd wear the, the hit by myself and wouldn't share. I was, um, I was emotionally bankrupt, maybe like I'd never cried in front of my wife before. Um, and watching her, well, to start with, to hear that, you know, everything's good. We're just about to go on a holiday just a few weeks out before the, um, before having our first child. And, um, you know, to hear that, you know, there's no heartbeat here. And, you know, then it's, you know, your wife's going to deliver this baby. Next thing, you're not, your bags are not packed for your holiday. They're packed for, um, you know, watching her deliver. And I cried and cried for like, oh, the, it felt like the entire labor of this, you know, watching her go through pain and knowing what the outcome is going to be. And, and the two days we spent uh, with Ethan there was, you know, I had some conversations with him and then it sort of got to the funeral and I sort of said, you know, he hasn't got one breath on this planet. You're in the game. So, um, so a very different situation, but fast forward now six years and I'm doing what I'm doing, but I always say to people, my biggest challenge and adversity that took me to the darkest place has actually been, you know, without disrespectfully, uh, I, I wouldn't want that to happen again, but you know, it, it has been a big blessing. Like it gave me meaning, it gave me purpose, it gave me, um, you know, a, a just broke down a whole heap of, uh, barriers like I, I know that I'll be a better father for that because of that you know I know that I value life more because of that I know how to be vulnerable and open up because of that and I feel I've got like a really clear north star direction on the message I want to take to the world so when you're saying the word grateful from going through that experience I'm like going how, how could you be grateful but I I can relate in a similar but different way so uh, thanks for sharing yeah, you're welcome. And, and 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 often it it can take a while for that gratitude to really hit. But a lot of the time I, I people often say to me, they're like, Oh, you know, if you're really struggling with the situation, like what's the best thing you can do? And I'm like, say thank you for it. Even mm -hmm. if you don't feel it in that very moment, but just to just say thank you for the opportunity to be who you are, where you are with what you have at that moment in time it just shifts the energy completely and um, opens you up to a, to an, like, I, I always link gratitude to abundance. And when you can shift from that, that really, like it's, it's such an open, it's an open feeling rather than a closed feeling. Um, so I feel that 
saying thank you even in the most difficult times um, can just can just open us up to really discovering the gifts in the situations. Mm, well done. And, and we'll, let's move on to resilience in your book, uh, How to Be Resilient. What does resilience mean to you and how would you define it? A lot of people would have different definitions of being resilient. And, um, you know, just share a bit about your book and what, you know, the content of it and why you wrote oh, Obviously, I know why you wrote it, but, um, yeah, I'd like to hear your insights to the word resilience. Yeah, I've got a slightly different perspective on resilience to most. Um, I feel that from from being being in the sort of the space of resilience professionally for the last ten years, I think I've seen that unfortunately, particularly in a business context, it's become synonymous with just coping, and I just feel that that really really sells it short. Um, I'm also not a particular fan of the whole bouncing back description because I feel it kind of implies you just keep coming back to where you were before something didn't go to plan. So I really, I feel resilience is is a growth strategy. It's a learning strategy. I feel it's also something that's both pro, you can do proactively and reactively. And so with the book, it's all about how to proactively build your resilience with the, with the idea that if you've got reserves of it and if you've, you're in a space where you are resilient, then when something doesn't go to plan, then you're in a far better space to respond to it rather than get knocked off course by it. So I see resilience as the opportunity to learn and grow from challenge, to be able to embrace uncertainty and change, to be able to see the opportunities in challenging situations. And I feel I can sort of best describe it is it's how we can actually grow through challenges rather than just going through them. And it's how you can, you know, not just survive or just cope with the situation, but how you can actually, again, how you can thrive and how you can grow and learn and become stronger as a result of challenges. And I feel that, um, you know, when it's something that you do practice and it is something you do need to practice. Um, it's not one of these things. It's just a set it and forget it type of thing. It's, I think the thing I can liken it most to is going to the gym. You know, we go to the gym to you know, build and maintain physical strength, but it is that use it or lose it type of thing. And, and, and particularly with resilience, it's very, you know, it's, it's a simple thing. It's much like the gym. It's doing a set of simple, uh, repetitive, consistent rituals and tasks in order to build your resilience. But if you do drop the ball on them, then, you know, you do suffer the consequences. And I've found that myself as well, because people look at me and go, wow, you know, you're just you're the most resilient person I know. But if I drop the ball on my rituals as well, then I have times where I get angry and frustrated and overwhelmed. And then I go, oh, how long is it since I've been consistent with my practices? And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's why. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that was that, that's sort of the angle that I have on resilience. And, um, and I feel with resilience as well, it, it, when you sort of really get into it, you get, I, like I, I personally, I get to the point where I almost welcome, I welcome challenges. I welcome, uh, I welcome things not going to plan. I look forward to change because I'll, you know, variety is great. You know, we don't want to just be putting along. And there's also that perception people sort of think, oh, you know, I'm just cruising or I'm comfortable, but really there is no there is no plateau there is nothing that's static in life you know you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards um and if you're not moving forward then you're falling backwards so i think it's um you know it's definitely a, a strategy that's super important and particularly in you know in the world today where there is just so much uncertainty um so from the the book um what i did was i i pretty much reverse engineered 
how did I turn my life around from the lowest to the lows and then pop that into a framework of resilience. So the book itself is, it's like, it's, I look at it, it's like a, it's a resilience gym. It's, it's, you know, it's a series of principles. And then at the end of each principle, there's actually some, some questions and activities and exercises. So you can actually go through and implement it. So it's more of a, I see, I see it more of a, you know, it's a more of a coaching, self-coaching tool rather than one of those books you just read and put it on the shelf and leave it there forever. So yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy. And it just started out. I just, um, I turned my keynote into a book and I also made it a lot harder than it should have been. So <laughs> it was one of those things and I crowdfunded the book as well. So I guess that was the entrepreneurial streak. It's, um, you know, we always get told to sell it before we make it. And I did just that. And it was um, it was a great experience. And I thought it would make me more accountable to get it done sooner. But I still was a little bit slow on actually finishing and delivering, but communicated well with the people that had ordered it. And, um, yeah, there was no no dramas. No one, no one had a hissy and no one wanted a refund. So everyone ended up happy in the end. Wow. And um, without giving away the book, because people can go and buy your book, um, is there one or two uh, rituals that you would say every person, if they can implement them, would make a huge shift in their life? Yeah, look, in the, in the book, in this book, because I, I did publish this one, it was in 2015. So the, the actual um, rituals around resilience is something that has come a little bit more recently, and that'll form part of my next book, um, which is uh, Resilience Rocks, Rituals for Resilience. Um, so this one's just more around the principles and then just some practical exercises. But I, if, if, I'm, if I'm looking at how, um, you know, what's the starting point for people, um, and really the, the thing that I find for people to do is um, it becomes being very conscious of your language because we can have an entirely different experience of a situation just purely because of how we've described it. And there's a tendency to really over-dramatise and awfulize um, negative situations, but we're not that good particularly on finding the positive in situations. So it's being really conscious of that. And I find that one of the best ways and the simplest ways to become conscious of the language that we use is through journaling. And the the, the um, practice of journaling, sometimes people find, well, I can't write or it's overwhelming or um, they have this perception they need to write pages and pages or something like that. But the starting point I ask people to, to do with journaling is just to commit to write one sentence. It's just to write one sentence each night, um, preferably before you go to bed, just to you know, empty your mind a little bit and um, go to bed on a high. But it's just to capture like what was the best thing that happened in the day. And because, you know, we get what we look for. So if we start to program ourselves to look for the positive, then we're going to see it more. And so I, I just suggest that people start with a prompt and it can be just to complete the sentence. Today, I had the opportunity to. And just being very conscious of the language that they use. And as you're doing it, you become conscious of, um, you know, what your tendencies are and how you describe things. Um, now, what I really love is that sometimes there might have been a, a, an event in the day that was challenging, but through the course of journaling, um, I can actually then change the narrative around that situation and change it pretty quickly and then go to bed with a different perspective on a situation than I would have had. So journaling is incredibly powerful, but I think just starting with a commitment to doing a sentence, I think anyone can write a sentence, um, even if they voice do it. Um, and it's also a really good practice to do with children as well, is to ask them of a night before they go to bed, what was the best thing that happened in their day? 
Um, and again, it just gets them to start to look for the good things as well. Um, cause often I think, you know, you've got children, so it's sometimes you go, well, you know, how was your day? You go, good. What did mm. you do? Not much. And <laughs> but if you can start to say, ask the question, well, what was the best thing that happened today? And it gets their minds ticking over. And, um, I know with, you know, a close friend's kids, they were really resistant to it in the past. And then we were traveling overseas together and, you know, that one of them wouldn't go to bed until he was able to send her a message or FaceTime her to let her know what was the best thing that happened in his day. It's just become such a ritual and his, his complete, his attitudes changed completely from being, you know, quite a negative child to, you know, being really a lot more positive and, um, yeah, optimistic and enthusiastic. So, yeah, it's simple practice. Mm, very interesting. And what about um, you mentioned you like to challenge yourself. Uh, you've, you're have very well published in the media, ABC, uh, Finn Review. Uh, you're a you know, speaker. Um, you work with large organisations. You've volunteered overseas when you hadn't even been overseas before. Uh, done some para athletic uh, activities, and you've also featured in a feature film. So, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you, I, I get that you want to be challenged and you, you're ambitious, but some of those things, certainly traveling overseas when you haven't been overseas before to do volunteer work, would have been out of comfort zone at a high level. Um, do these things, are you seeking out these opportunities or are they coming your way now? The, the opportunity to volunteer overseas was something that came to me. Um, I was just, I was at a conference in Adelaide and I was just chatting to one of the exhibitors and they had some these really cool, like three wheel off-road wheelchairs. And I'm like, Oh, these look cool. Tell me about these. And then that led to a conversation about the work they do in developing countries and their peer mentoring program. And later that night they said to me, they said, oh, they, they asked, oh, have you ever been overseas before? And I remember saying, I'm going to Tasmania next month. Does that count? <laughs> and, um, and then they said, oh, would you be interested in, you know, going to the Solomons for our project next year as a, as a mentor? And I was like, you know, I'm a really precious city girl. I never even enjoyed camping. And here you are asking me to go to a, a very, very um, poor country where, you know, lucky to get, electricity let alone you know good water or anything like that and in that moment I was with my partner at the time and I just looked at him I looked at them I said can he come with me and they said sure and I said okay <laughs> and that was it I didn't even go away and think about it and you know and then it was like I had you know nine months to think about it and then it got a little bit more serious um but it was a great experience and um you know it definitely challenged me but my my, my approach now is is just to say yes and figure it out um and i've found now the more it scares me the more likely i am to say yes mm-hmm. and so that trip was definitely one of those experiences uh, doing the film was definitely one of those experiences. Um, I'd never acted before in my life. I'd never had the intention to do it. And it was a cold um, message on LinkedIn of all places that led to, you know, a conversation about being the lead role in a feature film. But what was really interesting about how that came about is that it was kind of like manifesting at a rate of knots on steroids um, because the day before I'd been um, reflecting on what my theme for 
2017. It was the end of 2016. I was reflecting what my theme for 2017 was going to be. And I thought, look, I've been consuming a lot of stuff. How about I just, my theme for next year is going to be creation. And I wrote up this little one-page manifesto on, you know, how I was going to create things and different intentions I had for the year. And and then one of them was to start dating again because I um, I had separated a couple of years earlier and things like that. And then, you know, within 24 hours, I get this message on LinkedIn saying, you know, we're casting for a lead actress who uses a wheelchair for a romantic comedy of all things. <laughs> and, um, you know, just I had a conversation and then I thought, well, look, if you think I can do it, then I'll say yes. And then got really terrified when I started to see the rest of the cast and, and had to get coached. And, you know, and then nine months later, I sat in a Hoyt cinema and watched myself on a big screen with a lead role in a feature film. And I've probably never been so more anxious or um, self-conscious in my entire life, but it was also an element of like, oh my God, I actually did this. And I didn't run away. I didn't, I didn't, um, yeah, I was terrified, but I still said yes. So yeah, these things seem to, they seem to just come up now. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a big lesson. Like, you know, they, what do they say? You just, yeah, you just say yes and then figure it out later. Um, build the yeah. build the plane on the way down, as they often say. Um, it, it is, yeah. All you need to know is the destination and the first step, and it's like a GPS. You know the address. It gives you the first step. You take the next step. Then you take the first step. The next one appears. And I think the universe and life is a lot like that. It's um, you know, the universe responds to our action, not our intentions. And as we take action, then then things open up for us. So sometimes I have to remind myself of that at times when you get stuck in that overthinking and um, not actually acting. But um, it's actually nice having these conversations because it's a nice reminder to go, wow, if you've done that, then why haven't you done this seemingly little thing in comparison? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So at the end of every episode, we always ask some rapid fire questions. They don't have to be rapid fire answers. They are just that questions are asked to everyone at the end of the show. So is there a book other than your own that everybody should read to help them improve their life? There's a few that I really love. Um, I think that probably the most recommended book, especially when we're talking to entrepreneurs, is always Think and Grow Rich. It was a it was a massive shift for me. Um, I, there was a lot of a lot of um, wake up calls reading that book that helped me on this path. So I always recommend that. Um, more recently, probably the two books I've recommended or gifted the most to people. Um, one is Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Um, amazing book on, um, yeah, on not getting overwhelmed or addicted or completely used or consumed by technology and in, in particular social media. Um, I really loved it. It was a really well-researched book and that was something that it did um, shift my habits around social media. Um, so I definitely recommended that a lot. Um, and in the last uh, year or so, the other book that I've recommended and gifted the most is The Mastery of Love um, by John Miguel Ruiz, I think it is. He also wrote The Four Agreements. Um, and I found that book was um, just a really, really beautiful book on not just romantic love relationships, but the relationships we have with everyone around us and, and in particular with ourselves. Um, and I just, I found it was just the most beautiful book. I think I turned down the corner of nearly every second page and it's one that I just go and like to pick up and read another chapter of from time to time. So yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a really good shift. And then my theme for this year is, is love. 
Um, I think in, you know, in the world where there's so much anger and frustration and divisiveness and intolerance um, coming from a space of love and empathy and compassion is a really good place to come from. Mm. And on that word, actually, as you say, that's your theme of the year. Um, I, uh, in my book, I, um, I've got love and gratitude on my top at the moment, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, in my book, uh, every on the, on Ethan's birthday, every year I write a tribute of the biggest breakthrough or biggest lesson that people can take away. And I probably spend three or four hours writing, rewriting, coming back to it, coming back to it. And in particular, I listened to a podcast or it was a, a documentary with Jay Shetty and Gerard Adams, who I'm doing some work with at the moment, Gerard Adams and Jay Shetty was in the group uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he, they had their conversation was around love. And that's, I uh, wrote that in the, um, in my tribute and in the end of my tributes are every second chapter in the book. And it's funny reading them as, as that six years progressed before I got started, it was, you could see this was building type of thing before I made a decision to do it. So yeah, it's a, it's a powerful word, love. And, um, it's a good one to have as your key, uh, motto or key word for the year. Um, what about the best bit of advice you've ever received? Yeah, I think, well, the best bit of advice and I think it's also the one that's had the most impact is, is, is something I did touch on earlier. It was um, if we have experiences in our lives and we've learned things from it and we've been able to transform, if we don't then share that with others, we're being selfish because I think there's so many of us that think, again, the little old me story that I had going on as well, we feel that we don't have anything of value or we feel that, um, we're going to be judged or all of those things, but it's really important that we actually do put ourselves out there and share what we know, share it abundantly, um, you know, connect with others, help others um, and do it from a place of service. And if we do it from a place of service rather than a place of fear, then I think, again, that can only make the world a better place. So it's something I come back to often. And even in the last year for me personally, um, yeah, prior to March 2020, 95% of my work was keynote speaking in person. Mm. So my business was trashed and I was like, I don't want to do this online stuff. I hate it. Mm. I can't see people. I can't be in people. I can't hug people. Like, why do I want to do this? This is terrible. Mm. And then over time, I realized that me doing that was incredibly selfish. Mm. You know, we're in a time where people needed me more than ever. And for me to get caught up in that was awful. So I've come back to that piece of advice a lot. And I've also shared that with a lot of people that I've coached and mentored over the years that feel that they just don't have any great thing of significance. And it's like, you know, you don't have to have climbed Mount Everest blind with, you know, a 50 kilo backpack and one leg and half an arm mm. to have, you know, to have had something significant to share. Um, and often it's people that feel that they're more every day are the people that are going to relate to them even more. So I think just coming back to being place of service and, and if you're not sharing um, what you're learning along the way, then you are being selfish. Mm, very well said. Uh, what about on the flip side, the worst bit of advice you've ever received? Or it may not be advice, it may be just, a, you know, something you just totally disagree with. 
Oh, the thing that I, the thing that does get my goat a little bit, that it's something that you hear a lot is, oh, there's always somebody worse off. I really, really dislike that because like, it's not a, it's not a comparison competition life. Yeah. It's it. What does it, we really need to just come back to ourselves and our own space, our own circle of influence how we feel about ourselves, how we interact with the people around us and not just go, oh, it could be worse. Um, because also too, I think when you're focusing on, well, what's worse, um, you can end up manifesting some worse situations as well. So I just think, you know, flip it over, just come back to, instead of going, gee, someone's got it worse, go, I'm really grateful for what I have, who I am, you know, what I have, you know, where I am what, and who I am at this moment in time. So I think if anyone, if anyone is getting that, oh, it could be worse, or they find themselves saying it could be worse, please just flip that into I'm grateful for who I am and where I am and what I have and say thank you instead of it could be worse. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that. A similar thing for me last year, travelling was everything, you know, 20 weeks a year overseas. And, you know, I'm a free spirit who loves to treat the world as an oyster and being in lockdown for the best part of 10 months, you know, I felt like a bird in a birdcage. And I just kept on coming back to the perspective of, you know, I'd, I've, on my phone screensavers uh, Ethan's feet. But I ended up kept saying to myself, look, I'm grateful that I still don't have five fitness clubs because I could be in lockdown and out of business, <laughs> you know. So um, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real fascinating one, um, but, it's a, yeah, it's a really good bit of advice. What about my podcast, my book is uh, around your one shot at life and people that are listening to this you know they may be in a position where they're unhappy or they're in a job they don't like or they're you know down in the dumps whatever it is what's your message to them to try and uplift them to make the most of their one shot at life yeah there's 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 two things there first of all it does come back to gratitude again um it starts with gratitude it does start with thank you for where i am and what i have but also too, it's 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 getting out of the waiting for something else to change in order to feel like you're going to be happy, or saying that you're going to do something in ten years' time, or I'm going to do something when I retire. I think that's been such a huge learning for me. You just never know; like things can things can change in a split second. Life can be gone in a split second. So it's a matter of not taking things for granted. It's a matter of going if there's something that you would really like to do, then get after it. And the other thing I find too is if people get really, really stuck in a rut, um, you know, after the gratitude is just set the intention that you want and deserve something better than where you are. You don't have to know what it is. You don't have to know how you're going to get there, but it starts with an intention and then starting to look for the opportunities rather than the problems. So I think it's, yeah, not, not putting things off into the future really being present in the moment, being grateful for the moment um, and and looking for the opportunities rather than the problems. And it's really incredible how quickly things can shift when you do that. Mm, mm, very well said. What about where do people find you? Is it social media? Is it websites, books, a, a chance to give some PR to yourself? 
Yes, well, you can find me at stacycopas.com. I'm active on most active on LinkedIn and Instagram and more recently Clubhouse. Um, and as far as getting the book, um, if you go to howtoberesilient.com.au, um, you can download. There's a complimentary download there. Um, and also if you check the email with that, there is a link for getting a hard copy, a signed hard copy for a very special discount. So there's a couple of different ways that people can get in touch. Also, I manage all of my own social media still. Um, I love the connections and the conversations that happen on social media. Um, I keep getting told that I need to outsource that, but I refuse to because I just love authentic, authentic conversations and no one can have an authentic conversation but me. So if anyone reaches out to me, they'll get me. And I, I really love love connecting with people and answering questions and helping out where I can. It's just a, it's a, it's a joy to be of service. Wow. Um, from me, I want to thank you for taking the time. We've been friends online for a long time and, uh, yeah, we just recently connected and I thought, look, you're, you'd be a great guest for my show. So I reached out to you, you said yes, and a couple of days later, we're, here we are. So I want to thank you for taking the time, a, a, an incredible story, great wisdom um, and lessons that you've been able to share with us today. So thanks for being a guest on the One Shot Movement podcast. It's an absolute pleasure and keep doing the amazing things you're doing. You're just bringing so many awesome guests and wisdom to the world and, um, yeah, and helping people to realize, again, one shot. So, and the burst of M&M that comes into your head when you hear that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Wow, what an incredible and inspiring story that Stacey shared with us today. Hopefully you got a lot of value out of the episode and inspiration to drive you towards your dreams. If you like the episode, please make sure that you share it with your friends, give us reviews, put it on your social, make sure that you get the good word out about the One Shot Movement podcast. If you haven't got a copy of my book, You've Got One Shot, head across to my website at craigschultz.com and get your copy. While you're there, make sure you book in uh, for a 15 minute session with me and we can uh, work out a way for you to get ahead in life and uh, put a bit of a roadmap in place for you at the end of every episode i always say you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot whatever that is for you my name's craig schultz and i'm the host of the one shot movement podcast